so we got to remember how good God has been to us, right? I don't care if we celebrate it in December or February, but we need to remember how blessed we are for God sending His Son. We welcome all of you all that join us live. We're going to pray. We're going to get back into the book of James. We're going to pick up in chapter 3. And if anybody's left, by the time I get done speaking in chapter 3, we'll take up an offering. (laughs) Tough topic here. I heard a preacher say one time, (laughs) he was going to preach on some tough stuff. And he said, when, after this series is over, he said, if there's anybody left, we'll meet in the garage of my house after that. So, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for sending your son, Father, to uh, take our place on the cross as we reflect on you sending your son into the world uh, this season. And we just give you praise for that. And we're grateful that you didn't leave us to ourselves but you sent your son. So we just ask, Lord, that as we get into your word here, that you would uh, strengthen us, help us to be more like you, and help us to take what you teach us to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, we're going to talk about the tongue. We're actually going to just go through what God said about it. Uh, But it'll it'll take us a couple of places here. so, let's go to chapter 3 of James, verse 1. It said, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, uh, there was some fear uh, when I got the call to be in the ministry. There was some level of fear with that, and uh, I've shared some, my testimony or most of it over time that I didn't tell God I wouldn't preach. I just said I'd do it later. Uh, that didn't go over well, by the way. But uh, thinking about the responsibility, right? Because there's some pretty big woes throughout the Scripture for people in positions like I have uh, about not feeding the sheep, about teaching them the wrong stuff, about... Uh, having the wrong foundation uh, and not feeding the sheep the word of God but feeding people their own ideas and uh, whatever. So there's a challenge with that and I think about that, you know, and I take this seriously and that's why I try to study uh, and learn as much as I can. But he's going to get into the real issue because uh, sometimes Amy will hear me say, uh, I don't want to talk <laughs> because I talk for a living, right, so to speak. I said, I just want to sit here. If you ride anywhere with me in my vehicle, most of the time the radio will be off or it'll be on some kind of instrumental music where I don't hear words. <laughs> Sometimes I just need to be still. Uh, but when you speak a lot, <clears throat> you have a lot of opportunities to say the wrong thing, Right? Um, and so we got to be careful, and, and all of us have to be careful, but I think it's uh, something that I really need to pay close attention to because of what was just said, right? You're going to receive a stricter judgment because whatever I say carries weight. You don't have to be in this church. You can go to any church you want to. So I count it a privilege to be able to stand up before you and speak God's Word to you and share it with you. Because you, you, can, you could be anywhere tonight. 
But uh, so there's there's some uh, level of, of sober thinking that goes along with that. Then he says some things that we all can uh, relate to. He says, for we all stumble in many things. He says, uh, if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. So look around you. There's no perfect people. None of us. Uh, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So, this tongue is probably what's caused us most of our trouble throughout life. See how great a force the little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. That's pretty, that's a load right there, isn't it? A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It's hard to take something back once it's out, right? Sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. That is strong language. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You think about that. I watched a little video uh, this week where a guy had uh, tamed a bear, a big bear, not a small one. And him and this bear was just kind of wrestling. And the bear had nails that looked like they were that long, but he never, he never injured the guy. So a lot of things, we, and that's why this is a pretty powerful message here. He says, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. I mean, the tongue sounds like it needs to be cut out, don't it? Let, let me go back here. He says, tongue's a little, said it's uh, among our members, uh, and it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is, it is set on fire by hell. Then he says, we've tamed everything but the tongue. It is unruly Evil. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Set on fire of hell, an unruly evil, and it's full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude or similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. So the tongue can be tamed only by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. Uh, something we have to surrender the control over to the Holy Spirit, to the Lord. Now, in Peter, First Peter chapter 3, let me take you over there, verse 8. 
Think about what this tongue is capable of, what we just read in James. The division that it brings, right? He talks about how divisive it is, or can be. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter, look at verse 8. <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Now, he's talking to the body. So, I got a question for you. Is that how you look at other people in the church? You love them like a brother. He said, love, love each other, uh, have compassion for one another, love as brothers. Be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil. And that's something that everybody may be tempted with, but we don't need to follow through with it. Don't return evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. If they send a curse, you and I are supposed to send a blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, my wife and I have tried to practice this for 34 years, that if one of us come in tilted, and, and that uh, nobody's above that. You know, you can come in with a lot of stuff on you, decisions, maybe somebody's give you down the road or whatever, just a lot of different things can cause you to come in to a moment and bring all that stuff into another relationship, your spouse. And so you want to diffuse that if you can. If one of, one of the husband or wife comes home like a Rottweiler, the other one's got to be a bunny rabbit. Because if both of you turn into Rottweilers, <laughs> it's on, right? <laughs> and so uh, if they send a blessing, or if they send a curse, we send a blessing. If both people start sending curses, then the turmoil and all the trouble that, that feeds into that. So he says, um, be tender-hearted, be courteous. So my, my wife is more than my wife. She's also my sister in the Lord. And the same is true for all of us, right? We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. So we don't want to injure. Can you do some of the things that the New Testament teaches? One of the things it says is take wrong on yourself. Can you walk away from a conversation being misunderstood and not fighting about it? It's hard to do, isn't it? Can you walk away from a conversation knowing you're right, even though nobody else does, and be okay with it? Uh, or do you have to have the last word? So it's just a lot of challenges for us, right? And sometimes those challenges are on the very inside of our own marriages at times. If we're not careful, they'll be so challenging. Uh, and we'll forget that that brother or that husband or wife is our, also our brother and our sister. Now, you can tell on them. I do. I go say, God, your daughter. She's acting up. <laughs> can you call her? <laughs> so, whatever. Uh, but there's way, other ways to handle it instead of turning into a Rottweiler, right? And then he, but look at these next couple of lines here. He says, uh, says, you're called to a blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you inherit a blessing for, listen to this, this powerful line here. 
For he who would love life and see good days, what do you think he should say after that? Well, let me tell you how the modern culture would say it. He who would love life and see good days should have a good job and go to the health club five times a week. And eat right. That's not what he said. He said, he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips from speaking deceit. Godliness with contentment is great gain, I think is how Paul says it. He said, bodily exercise profits just a little, but holiness profits for everything. In other words, holiness is, let me simplify that and just put it, and let's not mystify it. Holiness means you and I practice doing things the way God does them. That's what holiness means. So, what's more important than eating right? Holiness. What's more important than going to the gym? Refraining your tongue from evil. Nothing wrong with eating right. Nothing wrong with going to the gym. But those things are not a priority. If you want long life, he said, there's another thing he said about long life. He said, if you want long life, obey your parents. Dun, dun, dun. Right? My grandmother, till she passed away at 95, whenever you ask her why she lived long, that was the first thing out of her mouth. I obeyed my parents. She didn't eat right. She ate like mountain people. We like all the wrong stuff. But we got good stuff to counteract the wrong stuff, like collard greens and uh, dry land fish, hickory chickens, all that stuff. But she would say that. So there are principles. There, see, what we forget because we get culturized, did I just made up a new word? That's going in my dictionary. We get culturized into thinking... <clears throat> The, I'm going to say this, the most important, and, I, and I've been through health issues. We all, that's not a secret, right? We think the most important thing to our health is something in the natural. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Not at all. The Bible says that our spiritual life is what, it will affect our natural life more than anything else. So, he says, if you want to, if you love life and, and, and would see good days... He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away. As I get older, I, I just wonder if history is not the most important subject there is. Learning from God and what he's taught. Learning from our mistakes. Seeing what works and what does not. Why any nation, let me just say it this way, why any person would think that communism works after we've seen it destroy whole nations, why would we try it again? That's just one example, but I, I'm thinking how important is history as we move down the line. And then I was thinking, and I know there's so many atrocities that go on in our world, so many things that people do 
that are not holy. They're not the way God does them. They're just the opposite. But I was thinking, what if we could, what if we could just turn off lying? How much would that stop a, a lot of trouble? If people just could not lie. If you think about Satan, that's one of his titles. He's the father of all lies. And so his deception and his lying has rubbed off on mankind and, and so many people. And notice what we do with things that are not holy. We change the names of them so we can deaden the blow a little bit, right? Listen to people in the news. They don't lie. They just misspeak. Right? And you go right down the line with things that we used to zero in on and say that's wrong. We keep dead in the blow. That way it doesn't have as much conviction with it. No, you lied. What would Sarah say? The Lord come by and said, she's going to have a baby. And she's over there laughing. Because she's too old, right? She thinks. Because she's looking at everything in the natural. And... She said, he, God said, why did she laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. You're going to tell God you didn't laugh? He said, oh, but you did. I think a lot of people are going to hear that on Judgment Day if they don't turn to Christ. Oh, but you did. Our, our help is turning away and embracing Christ. But I think there's a big part of our culture in this world that thinks they're going to just handle God when they get up there in front of him someday. Uh, we'll, we'll work our way through that. I had a psychology professor years ago who was uh, a pretty arrogant fella. And he uh, didn't want nothing to do with God. He found out that I was a Christian and he started poking at me in class. And he liked to use me to as an example. <clears throat> then I got on his bad side when he started talking about Pavlov and all those guys about, <clears throat> you know, the dog salivating when they started doing stuff with his pan and ringing the bell and all that. I said, I said, I told him, I said, listen, that ain't nothing new. I said, my ancestors been doing that for a long time. They go to the fence, ring the bell, and here comes all the cows. They know how to eat. I said, that's nothing new to us. <laughs> so, I got on his bad side. But he said to me, after he gave me a string of explicit things, and he enjoyed it, he said to me, he said, God understands me. And I said, you're right. He does. I think there's an atti a prevailing attitude in our culture that people, are, because they've been able to maneuver life, or at least they think they have, that they'll just maneuver. When that day comes, if there's really a God out there and they really have to stand before him, somehow they'll, they'll be able to walk through that with him. They'll be able to con him a little bit. But that's not happening. They'll hear God say, but you did. That was you. Turning your back on me. Let him turn away from evil and do good, he says. If you love life and want to see good days, let him seek peace and pursue it. Here's what I've been saying in a roundabout way. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And he hears and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
There's a catchphrase that kind of swims around through the church that says God is for you. No, he's not. Not if you're not on his side. <laughs> uh, shalom in the Hebrew, the, the correct meaning of the word shalom, and let me just put that up here for a moment. The word that you and I use a lot, shalom, <clears throat> the correct meaning is cessation of againstness. You, when you come into shalom with God, he ceases to be against you. Now, he's not against you just because it's you, but because of sin, that causes God to be here and us to be here. And once that gap's been bridged by his son and we accept that and turn from our sin, then that againstness has been ceased. That's the idea behind shalom. So the cessation of againstness is what happens to us uh, when we are in shalom. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and I think this is going to sum up what's going on there in James and, uh, and, and about what, how the tongue and division and how we should walk before the Lord. So let's go to chapter 12, verse 25, and let's read some here in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 25. <clears throat> but Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, so here's, you're not and this, this is not a bad thing if you're a follower, right? God sees everything. He tells us not to get weary in doing well, for in due season we'll reap if we do not faint. So this is a good thing that God sees everything. Now, if, you're, if you've not stepped into your shalom with him, if you've not come into that moment of cessation of againstness, then it's not a good thing, right? But if you're at peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ, then that's fine that he sees everything, right? Uh, he says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Now, what James is talking about, how divisive our tongue can be, even in our own being. It certainly can be divisive in our families, in our church, on our job, in, in any place like that. It can be divisive, but it can also be divisive inside of us individually. And he says, uh, if Satan cast out Satan... Uh, let me back up. Every kingdom divided against itself was brought to desolation. Every city or ha a house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out... Now, Jesus had just uh, cast out some demons, and they're pretty uh, dis uh, torn up about it. And they're, blame they're saying to Jesus, you cast out the devil by the devil. And Jesus is pointing out how ridiculous that would be. That the devil would, not, would cease to have a kingdom if he went around destroying his own work. So the, he's just cast out these demons and now the religious people are upset and they're saying to him, you've done this by Beelzebub, uh, is the word, uh, Lord of the Flies or better, Lord of Stench. Another title for Satan. And then he says, if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? So he's kind of threw that right back at them. Therefore, they shall be your judges. 
But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come unto, upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man, a man's house, plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? He then will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. So we call this the unpardonable sin, right? The only sin that the Bible tells us that is unforgivable. And the context of this, let's not pull it out of context. I've heard this abuse. Well, that means somebody don't receive Jesus. That's not what he said. Guess, let me tell you what somebody who don't receive Jesus gets. They go to hell. That's clearly understood in the Bible. If you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. He's, this, we got to leave the Bible in context to understand what happened here. Jesus has just cast out some demons. They're saying, this is what the crowd's saying. They're saying, you cast out those demons by the devil. Jesus corrects them. So here's what we got to steer clear of. This is what the Pharisees and religious people got in. Attributing the works of God to Satan. That's what was going on here. The attributing the works of God to Satan. They, they basically said, and we know, according to Luke, that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So they were basically saying that that spirit inside of him was unclean. That's pretty deep. That's dangerous. So what I tell people, if you see something you don't understand, just leave it alone until God gives you some understanding on it. And then he says, he says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, speaking of Christ. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, again... That's not what most people run around saying. They just, they don't want to study. They don't want people to be freaked out. And most of the time when somebody comes to me and says, uh, I'm afraid I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. First thing I say is, what's that mean? And most of them can't tell you. Uh, because they, they've not. They don't understand. Uh, again, he, he, he clears this up by saying, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit. Again. The thing that's passed around as blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, is a viable biblical principle, but it's just not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He's telling us what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is here. If you reject Christ, you're going to hell. But there's something else going on here. It's not the rejection of Christ, because he even says here that if you speak against me, you can be forgiven. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the reason I think God is so, the Father is so sensitive about the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit didn't come to draw attention to himself at all. He come to point us all to Jesus. The Bible said he didn't even come to speak of himself, but to tell us, to point us all to Jesus. He said it will, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. So in the context of this, they're, they're saying that the spirit inside of Jesus that he used to cast out these demons is unclean and is the devil. And that's what he's calling blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Either make the tree good and it's fruit good. Let me ask you a question. And this is why we got to be careful before I get in. This is going to really go tie back into James here. 
If you'd have been there that day, and Jesus was in front of that guy, and he stooped down and he spit on the dirt and made mud out of it and stuck it on that guy's eyes, what would you have thought? Would you have criticized Jesus? Would you have said, eee? I mean, think about being, let's, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and think, uh, well, we got all those stories, so we know the outcome. But what if you'd have been there that day? None of this was written. You were there on that moment when Jesus just simply bends over and spits on the ground and makes mud and rubs it on the guy's eyes. What about the other time where he took spit off of his, out of his mouth and put it on the other guy's tongue. Would you have thought that was weird? Some people did. Because Jesus brought out communion. And he said. Uh, if you're going to follow me. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And most of them turned and walked away. You know what I find interesting about that moment. Is he didn't try to stop any of them. He just let them go. In fact, he turned to the ones that stayed and said, you guys leaving too? And then Peter, that's when Peter steps up and said, we ain't got nowhere else to go. That's when you and I, mine and your Christianity takes a turn of power and momentum when we come to that moment in our lives when we realize there's nowhere else to go. Christianity is not something we're just trying out to see if it works. Christianity is not something we're going to do as long as everything goes our way and we get our way. But it's those folks that say, you know what? This is the only place to be, following you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. That's when our Christianity takes a strong leap forward. And then he, so he goes on, and this is kind of going to tie back into James. He says, either make the tree good or its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Then he said, brood of vipers. He called them vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? You see that? So that's what we're talking about in James. How can this same fountain, and it doesn't, in the natural, a fountain doesn't do that. And that's why he's speaking that way. He said, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the, and then he brings the mouth back into it. You see that? A good man out of a good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every... Ooh, I wish this verse wasn't in there. I was kidding you all about not staying. I'm thinking I'm going to leave now. <laughs> but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. <sighs> Everybody take a deep breath. Now think about that. The word idle there means words with no value. Useless. And we're back to talking about our tongue here. He said, talking about evil things coming out. He says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, that I, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So, if you think about, uh, I, I don't dread standing before the Lord because I'm, I, I have a covering. My covering's Jesus Christ. But I don't want to be flippant and be like one of those people that talk, Paul talks about where he talks about the judgment seat of Christ and how people will be rewarded and I think about that. I don't want to be rewarded. Uh, part of me thinks, I'm just going to be glad to be in heaven. I get that. And I feel that way. I'd be glad to be there. But another part of me, and I, and I, I don't necessarily, I won't say this right because I don't want to get in trouble with God. <laughs> I don't necessarily, what's, attracting to me, what's attractive to me about heaven is not streets that are gold I think I think streets that are gold just tells us who God really is that's that's how he's all that and more right but those gold streets are not going to be my most what's most attractive to me about going to heaven knowing him being him but but having rewards means this to us that we pleased him that's what I want to be able to do I want to be able to Whatever the rewards are beyond eternal life, so be it. But I don't want to get up there and, and have a conversation with the Lord and the Lord say, you know, I was trying to get you to, I don't want to leave stuff undone, do you? I don't want to leave anything undone that we're supposed to do or I'm supposed to do. And so he talks about that. But then Paul talks about some people who actually are in heaven. This is hard, hard to understand. I get it. But he said some will be saved as though by fire. Their works will be burned. Is that who you really want to be? The person that gets in by the hair of his chinny chin chin. I'm not speaking theologically here. I'm just talking about in the vein of, of what, how that's represented there. People who are in heaven who obviously love God, but for whatever reason, they weren't uh, staying focused. And maybe they weren't living evil, obviously, but they weren't being attentive and doing what they were, should have been doing or asked to do. And so, you see how God offers us a relationship with Him. He wants to speak into our lives. He don't want us to be divided internally because once that takes place, it affects everything we do. My mother taught me a lesson. Let me go back to James 3. My mother taught me a lesson many years ago. We were going through a cafeteria line. And um, one of the spoons had food left on it. And so my, mo my mother laid it up and picked out another spoon, right? Then we went to the table and she gave me a spiritual lesson. She said, you and I refuse to eat with a dirty spoon, don't we? I said, yes, we do. You think God's the same way? 
He don't want to use a dirty spoon to eat with. But I think a lot of times people just think, we'll just live our life the way we want to, and God can get whatever he gets out of us. Instead of being attentive and staying focused. God don't want to eat with dirty silverware either. And the problem with, with allowing our tongue or whatever. It don't have to be the tongue. That's what we're talking about tonight. Is one, like once you, if you get offended or something. If, if uh, having an offense or, or having your tongue that's offensive to you. Once that sets up in you, it's like a water pipe. And everything will run through that old rusty, dirty pipe. If you can look back on your own life and see this, if you get offended at somebody, it's hard for them to do anything right with you or me. Because everything they do after the offense, it all gets run through the offense. And it's, it's like running something through a dirty pipe. Or it's like trying to eat food with a dirty fork. It's not a very pleasant experience. And so notice what happens. If you get offended at somebody, then you'll start being critical of things a lot of times that you weren't critical of before. But because you are offended at them, you run everything through that offense. And that's, that's what sets up bitterness and corruption families can do that even one family member can get offended at somebody and by the time they sit at the dinner table eight or nine times everybody at the dinner table who had no interaction with the other person at all becomes offended they all get dirty pipes so your witness or my witness as we go back to James here he says, our, our witness can be marred with our mouths. If we're not careful. So we want to be careful with our tongues so that it don't divide us. And we want to let the Holy Spirit have control over that. So in verse 13, he says, who, of chapter 3 of James, he says, Who is, a wise, who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking. Now, uh, let me go to these. Well, let me read a little bit more and then we'll come use this board. He said, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. If we've got bitter envy, and self-seeking in our hearts, we're working against the truth. He says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For, now, this is a strong word here. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So it comes out. Let me take you to these. It's been a while since I've used these. Let me take you to the board here. Uh, in the New Testament, Greek language, there's agape, phileo, and eros. Eros uh, originally was a snake with its own tail in its mouth. It was consumed with itself. That's a form of love in the Greek. Agape is what we call 
God's love. Love with no motive. So uh, I illustrate this by saying agape is straight arrow. And eros is love with a hook. So God's love loves us. He sets his love on us for our sake. We don't really add anything to God. God's going to go on whether you and I show up or not. But God, for God so, and this is a word he used in John 3.16, agapal, that's the verb form of agape, for God so agapaled the world, that's verb love, what it do? For God so loved, what's the first prompt that come because of his love? Giving, right? Love produces giving. In a, in a family, whatever. For God so loved, his first uh, spiritual movement toward us was agape. His first action toward us out in the open was to give. And what did he give? He gave his greatest son. He gave his greatest gift, his son. For God so agapowed that he gave. And he gave him for our sakes because we don't add anything to God. When I was converted, when you were converted, we didn't make God any stronger, any more lovely, any more truthful, any more powerful. He was all that, or he's not God. He was all that before we ever showed up. So what we got is we got this kind of love with no motive. God just loved us for our sake. He wants us to do the same with each other. Love with no motive. But this self-seeking is what illustrates eros. Love with a motive, right? Stick man is loving with a hook, we call it. And right here, stick man is loving with no motive because he loves purely. And so you have to train yourself and your children and your grandchildren to recognize self-seeking, self-centered love, right? Because that guy will come along to talk to your daughter or granddaughter or whoever and say, I love you, but he has a motive, right? And the guy, and it could be a girl toward a guy too nowadays, but the, the guy comes by and says, I love you, right? So it would happen like this. The guy says, with a, agape, says, I love you. I want you to be my helpmate. I want us to raise godly seed together. She says, let me give her some hair over here. Big 80s hair, dude. She says, I love you too. Your family's got a lot of money. And then we'll make him a long-haired hippie. And then her just with a ponytail over here. He says, or she says, I love you. I want to be your helpmate. I want to come alongside you. I want to be a godly woman. I want us to have godly children. And he says, I love you too. You're good looking. Motive. That's, that's the issue, right? That gets to the basis of who we really are. Was it John Wooden who said, reputation is what people think you are. Character is what you really are. We see that, right? And this, this principle is where he's talking about. He says, uh, where you are, where there's envy and self-seeking, where those two things exist in verse 16, confusion and every th evil thing are there. If you could think back, I don't want you to go back into the gory details of your life when you were a sinner, but if you can think back 
when you lived a life that was self-centered, that's pretty much true, isn't it? it? It just consumes your life. You're all about you. All about you. And what fulfills you, not the other person. It's all about me. And he says, if you live like that, every, evil of, every other evil thing will be present. And that's why somebody who gets wrapped up in being self-centered, if they don't get delivered from that by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the love of Christ, they'll destroy. They'll wound up being destroyed. It's destructive to be self-centered. It's not how God designed us. In fact, he designed us just the opposite, to be, to be just the opposite of that. He said that we would care more about the things of others than we do our own stuff. And he says, but the, uh, he says, if you think this kind of self-seeking and envy, or we, would, we could say covet, covetousness or whatever, confusion, the, if you live with envy, covetousness, self-seeking, confusion and every evil thing are there. Just even pick, like waiting on a helpmate or finding the right helpmate. If you're not being led by the Holy Spirit in that process, it is so, it, it will drive you nuts. But you need to be led by the Spirit. You, I tell my children, of course they're all married now, but uh, I've, I told them before they got married, years as they were growing up, and even their friends, I was famous for this even with their friends when they would come over. One of my sayings was, do you know what's worse than marrying the wrong person? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Nothing's worse than that. Absolutely nothing. So make sure you get the right one. Uh, so uh, I ha some of their friends would look at me waiting on the answer when I would tell them the answer. Uh, so just when you're self-seeking, it's a driving force that's moving your life around instead of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this. I don't mean this offensive because it's true of all of us. We don't do near as good a job of leading our life as the Holy Spirit does. He's way better at it. And because he's already been around the corner before we get there. We don't have the knowledge and the ability to see things like the Holy Spirit does. So we have interaction with him let him run your life. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me lives. The hope of glory. That's the reality of being a Christian. I laid my life down and gave ownership over to Christ, and now he governs my life. And then he says, I'll close here in just a moment. But this wisdom, but the wisdom, he said that's earthly wisdom right there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now... I think I want to take you one more place before I quit. I'll probably just have to quote it. 
But the Bible tells us, if there be any virtue or power, think on these things. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are true. You can't do that if you're self-seeking. And so God's asking us to give our control of our tongues over to Him. But it's not just our tongues. It's our whole lives. But He's telling us how powerful the tongue is here. And that we need to surrender our tongues to the Lord. And the more we do that, the more we'll see the fruit of the Spirit work in our lives. So I want to tell you guys, Merry Christmas. It's coming on us. We'll have church this uh, Christmas Eve. If some of you are going out of town, we'll be, we pray that you have a safe journey. Pray that you remember Christ during this season. Make sure. And I, I'm not here to, I don't want to argue all the ins and outs of that. I'll share some more stuff about Christmas that I think will be important to you. But make sure you're the person that in your circle that stays focused and says, you know, Fine, give. One of the greatest attributes of God is he loved the world that he gave. I love to give. Giving's great. I'll, I, I want to give. But, the, but make sure, and we don't have to argue about things, but let's make sure we're thankful that God sent his son the first time. Now, he's coming back again, and I'm, I'm ready and looking for that. But aren't you glad that God sent his son to bail us out? Because we would still be in our sins if God had not sent his son. And it's, it's really clear, uh, pretty clear, that Jesus wasn't born this time of year. But there's a really good chance that he was conceived this time of year. And that's the real miracle. They've been having babies for 4,000 years. They knew how to have babies. The real miracle was the conception. We talked some about that Sunday. The fact that a virgin was carrying the son of the Most High God. And she'd never known a man. That is a miracle. And so let's remember that. And remember to tell your children, your grandchildren, that we're celebrating, however you celebrate, we're celebrating the fact that God bailed us out, sent his son to take our place. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. I just thank you for uh, the love and the power and the grace that we have here as a body. I ask you, Lord, to... Help us to always glorify you, not just this season. We set aside this season to recognize you sending your son, but help us to be grateful and thankful for that every day of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.